This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think the thing for me that I actually like but don't like is I feel the same way that I probably did when I was approaching my first game week way back when. You know, the uh, whether it's uh, anxiousness or the anticipation, all that, the juices still flow the same way. It's an ex- like I said right off the bat, it's a really exciting time of year. Many added emotions because of being at a new place uh, with a with a new group of players. This is an ultimate test, I think, right now. This is a heck, heck of a uh, season opener. BYU, you know, they, they've kind of turned into uh, the, the LDS uh, Notre Dame in that, uh, you know, they, they kind of go anywhere, play everybody. They're uh, an independent. They're playing a very, uh, very rugged schedule, and uh, they, they're going to walk into this stadium, and uh, it'll be a great test for us because uh, there are a lot of unknowns, you know. You know, when it comes to mentality, I mean, BYU's coming to town on Saturday, and they they think they're coming to our house and win, and tell you what, me and my boys are pretty damn sure we're not going to let that happen. And that sets the stage here for the opening of the Mike Riley era. Hello, welcome to a game week, game day edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, Dan Hoppen, and Mike, uh, Mark Banker, Mike Riley, and then defensive end Jack Gangwish set the stage here as uh, BYU in Nebraska, Saturday, 2.30, Memorial Stadium. It's going to be a hot one, 94 degrees. Um, the uh, paramedics are going to be busy, guys, at Memorial Stadium. Uh, get the waters flowing because uh, it's going to be one of those hot, humid days. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go, Robin. But when you when you look at this matchup and, and just what this game means, uh, what are you looking for the most on Saturday? First of all, I've been waiting about two months for an actual game to talk about because I think we've exhausted every single possible storyline about this team and uh, about this uh, this upcoming season. So uh, it's about time to get this going. But uh, as for what we're going to see uh, here against BYU, I mean, this is about as difficult of an opener as you could possibly ask for, especially with a team that uh, is really breaking in an entire new era with a new coaching staff. I mean, this is a, a veteran team that is no stranger to playing in top-notch environments. Uh, they've put whoopings to you know top level teams like Texas and you know just name the list uh, over the years they got an experienced veteran quarterback and uh, you know lots of weapons on offense and a crafty defense that is going to throw you some looks that maybe you've never seen before so uh, certainly uh, a mixed bag of uh, everything that Nebraska is going to have to be ready for and Dan you have to think when Mike Riley took this job and he saw that this is the opener because you, usually you're going to get Maine or Western Illinois or, or just some kind of tune-up game Florida Atlantic came in last year and that was a game where Nebraska almost racked up 800 yards of offense I believe last year a year ago well that's not going to happen this week I mean this is a true test where we're going to learn almost everything and maybe more than we want to know about this team in week one oh yeah I think you know you go back to I think it's 2003 Nebraska played Oklahoma State at home you know in every opener since then Nebraska has been pretty heavy favorites this is the first time since that game that I think the opener's kind of been a toss-up and yeah, you know, just compounding the fact that this is Mike Riley's first game, uh, you know, this is the first game in a new offensive system, a new defensive system, you know, that adds a lot of a lot of pressure. And uh, I think it's going to make this matchup even more interesting. How about you, Nate? What are you looking for the most on Saturday, uh, whether it's recruiting angles or on the field, off the field? What's going to have your eye on Saturday? Well, I'm looking at, uh, you know, how the coaches kind of adjust during the game, how they handle uh, the game day situations, and how the team, you know, is settled into these new systems offensively and defensively. You know, we've been able to watch practice and and get a glimpse of, of, you know, the – 
offensive, defensive system, but we haven't seen it all put together in, in a live situation uh, just like we'll see today. So uh, that's what I'm most excited to see. Black shirts were handed out this week. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast here, and um, it, it was um, going back really to the old way, and um, this was something that uh, Mark Banker really researched. Uh, he, he met with Charlie McBride. He talked to Charlie McBride and the old staff and – um, you know, I, I go back to when we talked to these coaches in December. He said, you know, I was at the bowl game practices and I've heard all about these black shirts, but there was only one guy wearing a black shirt. And, and, and Banker goes, where were all the black shirts? You know, and, and his John Madden sounding voice. And <laughs> and, and he's right. I mean, he, he, he was kind of confused on the tradition. So he, he wanted to make sure let's do it the right way. And the black shirts were handed out on Monday. And I don't think it could have gone any better. The Jack Gangwish moment, Dan, and, and oh, it's you, incredible. you wrote the big Jack Gangwish story earlier this year. Uh, but just capturing that alone um, showed you how special um, the black shirt tradition really is. Yeah, you know, Nebraska, they always kind of put out, you know, those videos of when the guys get the black shirts and stuff. And it was cool to see, you know, guys like Josh Kalu and other guys come in the locker room and see him hanging there. But when you see Jack and he comes in, he doesn't say a word to anybody, he just picks it up and you know, sits down and starts crying into it. I mean, that was really powerful stuff. And, you know, you just look at how this whole tradition was handled over the last couple of years. I mean, at the end of last season, you had, you know, a couple guys in the secondary who were wearing their black shirts. Then you had, you guys know. Guys that never started a game got a black shirt. Yeah, then you had some defensive linemen who said, we're not, you know, you know, we're not playing worthy of this. We're not going to wear it. So you had some guys wearing them, some guys that weren't. It was just a mess great job by Mark Banker to go back kind of get into the history of this thing what it means why it matters and stick to that tradition there's no reason to try and mix it up this is you know this is what it is and Nate I get in 2008 what Bo Pelini was trying to do after 07 uh, because the defense was in shambles but um, you know it just became almost more a distraction the last seven years with with this black shirt tradition well you talked to Byerson Cockrell after practice and he said, well, you know, we're not used to getting these until, you know, maybe the middle of the season. So uh, it was a big surprise to those guys. And uh, and I think over the last seven years, the whole tradition had just been completely muddied up. You know, you have some – you've got a certain section of, of players over the last seven years or so that, that don't even realize what the what the real tradition was. You know, Dijon Gomes on Twitter is talking about uh, how these guys haven't earned them yet and how they need to play before they can earn them. Well, that's not – He got greeted with a lot of yeah. feedback on that comment. And that's not the tradition. You know, and, I, and kudos to the staff for for continuing to embrace uh, you know the tr- all the traditions that Nebraska has. When you look back on Bo Pelini's you know time at Nebraska, he only gave the black shirts out before the season one time, and that was in 2013, and he only gave out seven of them. So it was just the the the, the randomness and the no rhyme or reason they had handling that the, that tradition was just kind of a disaster. And you know I think it was music to a lot of fans' ears to hear uh, Mark Banker say that they went to Charlie McBride because uh, if anybody knows what the black tr- shirt tradition is all about and how to go about handling it, it it's him. Well, and he designed the skull and crossbones and and kind of made it a marketing deal. I mean the black before McBride it wasn't a big marketing spectacle, but. Um, it was McBride that did that, so he really gets credit for developing the brand, quote unquote, of what this thing became. And you think about like guys like Indomitian and Sue were not wire to wire black shirts. I mean, that is kind of a joke when you think about the greatest defensive player in college football that year, and now the highest paid defensive player in the NFL didn't get to wear a black shirt at Nebraska um, mm-hmm. until like November. <laughs> when you think yeah. about that now, yeah, it, was, it was kind of a joke. Borderline really. ridiculous, yeah. 
But yeah, the black shirts are out. The depth charts out. I mean, I, I like the way they've handled this first game week because Bo Pelini, in the past, we we've already discussed this. He didn't hand out the black shirts early, and and even the depth chart. I mean, it was such a finicky. Oh, we don't want to hurt guys' feelings. We don't want to make this a big deal about the depth chart. Well, Mike Riley had the depth chart in the release. It wasn't even that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody really made that big of an issue out of it, but it sure helps the fans in the media um, have a better feel for things. Yeah, by hiding all that stuff, it just uh, expounded everything and made the, you know even more of a talking point than it really should have been. And you know, it's just kind of been the way Mike Riley and his staff have handled this thing the whole way through. They get out in front of things, whether it's injuries, whether it's depth charts, whether you know it's things like the black shirt, you know, all those little things that you don't, you know, I'm sure Bo didn't think were a big deal. They become big deals here at Nebraska. That's one thing you got to give credit credit to Mike Riley. They're understanding that uh, this is a place where the littlest, minute details about your team become, become huge, huge talking points. And so to get out in front of those, address them, and then get them out of the way and move on, I think is obviously the best approach. And it's not like there is anything, you know, real shocking about the death chart anyway. I mean, when you go up and down that list, you know, th- there wasn't anything crazy on there. We pretty much had a pretty good idea of who the starters and who the backups were. So kudos to Mike Riley. Yeah, he just quietly released the depth chart. It wasn't a big deal. He didn't try and hold it out or, you know, try and surprise BYU with any last second lineup changes or anything like that. He just, you know, quietly released it on a Monday. It was it wasn't even an email or anything. It was just part of the game notes. Yeah, the weekly game notes that the media receives and that's just, yeah, you, didn't, you didn't even know when we, I, I didn't know. Pizza, yeah. like, have you seen the depth chart? Well, we're not yeah. used to looking at them because usually they're just like the same printed out depth chart all season long with zero changes made. So. And usually, I think Keith Mann would just almost kind of guess the depth chart based yeah. on who started the game and whatnot. I mean, it was I don't even know if Bo actually stamped off the <laughs> you, depth chart. I know for a fact he did. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I think <laughs> that's pretty safe to say. We've got much more to talk about. We're going to talk offense here, uh, what to watch here against BYU, what we'll be watching. That's all next year on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Obviously getting those guys back is good for the team and it's good for the flow. You know, it's good for the flow of the rotation that, that we anticipate having for the game. And then, you know, just to see those guys running around, it makes the offense go better when you get, you know, when you get your guys back. So, yes, yeah, it's been good. Even, I mean, I felt good yesterday, but today, really good. Had a good day, and I'm really, really looking forward to Saturday. And welcome back here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. The Nebraska wide receivers are getting healthier. And for the most part, we've seen everybody back at practice, other than obviously DeMornay Pearsonell, and that was wide receivers coach Keith Williams and then junior wide receiver Brandon Riley, who is listed number one at one of the three receiver spots, co-number one on the depth chart uh, going into this season opener. And and that's going to be a big thing um, with this receiver uh, position. I mean, they were almost overly cautious the last two weeks of fall camp uh, with guys like Brandon Riley, even Stanley Morgan, um, you know, just not wanting to put these guys at risk, knowing what they've already lost into Mornay personnel. And uh, I'm going to be really curious, Nate, uh, just to, to watch the timing and, and how these guys look uh, just with the time they've missed in fall camp. Yeah, the timing will be important. You know, early on we saw a guy like Brandon Riley, you know, uh, look to have a pretty good chemistry with Tommy Armstrong. You know, uh, will he fall right back into that, uh, you know, that sink with Tommy or not? Uh, that'll be important. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the timing and, and the overall rotation of, of having these guys back healthy will be interesting to watch. Yeah, it is interesting just on that depth chart too, um, just um, with some of the directions. I mean, uh, 
I think it was it uh, Jamal Turner was was he co number one or number uh, two behind Alonzo Moore on the one other spots? He was a co. I know that he was one of the oars. I'm pretty sure. And then Brandon Riley, Lane Hovey, and uh, Stanley, Stanley were kind of mm-hmm. listed as co ones at yep. that other spot as well. So um, then obviously Westerkamp is the outright at mm-hmm. his position, but um, you know they. I think we're going to see a lot of different guys play. I'll, I'll just be curious how much they throw the ball and, and what their plan of attack is. Well, again, if you listen to Danny Langsdorf, uh, BYU's defense uh, has a tendency to dare offenses to throw the ball. They jam the box and take away the running game and put it on the quarterback to beat them. And so I think they're going to have to. Whether they want to or not, they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. And uh, I think all this work that they put in with those short timing passes and the screen game is going to be absolutely huge because those are going to be absolutely crucial uh, to get to, to keep this BYU defense honest with their pass rush. Well, and Dan, uh, looking at BYU's defense last year, they gave up a lot of big plays deep, and that was their their problem. Their defense, and Bronco Mendenhall, the head coach, will be calling the defense now on Saturday. Uh, he's taking over those duties this year. He used to do it before, and that's when they would win 10-11 games. Um, so there's a lot of optimism that you're going to see an improved defense, but secondary has always been an issue. Um, that will be, I think, something that you see this Nebraska staff try to attack. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, this is something where you, you really wish you'd get to see DeMornay Pearson because I think that's a guy who could really uh, wreck some havoc with his speed going down the sidelines. But Brandon Riley is a really fast guy. He's a guy who can take a top off of a defense. Uh, Alonzo Moore can certainly do that too. Stanley Morgan maybe doesn't have that same top end speed, but he's very good at uh, being able to play the ball in the air so he can make some things happen in the deep passing game. So I'd like to kind of see Danny Langsdorf maybe take a couple shots early, test that BYU defense, see if they're still going to give up those big plays because I think they might be there in the early going. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We are previewing BYU here for Saturday, talking offense. And one of the things that I've noticed this weekend that was really uh, interesting was the, the the practicing in the stadium as an offense. And the defense is on the north practice fields north of Memorial Stadium uh, like they've always used. But um, they're just, you know, that's something that Danny Langstorff and Mike Riley want to do. They want to practice in the stadium. They want to get used to the wind patterns. They want to get used to the sight lines because it's your home field. And you, you should know the nooks and crannies and I agree like when you're running into that south corner where there's that fan skybox and things like that I mean there are some tricky things that you need to get your bearings and used to in that stadium and uh, I, I think it's a good idea Robin that, that they're going, going to practice two to three days a week in the stadium yeah and that's kind of that that savvy pro uh, mentality that these guys have. I mean, those are things that you have to do in uh, the NFL to adjust to different stadiums. And like you said, wind patterns and even sight lines, uh, just because when you're out there on the uh, open practice fields, I mean, it's a, it's a different look for a quarterback than it is with, you know, a stadium full of bleachers in the background of your receivers. So those are things that you have to acclimate yourself to. And, uh, you know, they've stressed how important those deep throws are going to be, and especially against a team like BYU, who is susceptible to big plays. Uh, you want to make sure that you're as crisp as possible on those deep throws and uh, give Tommy uh, as many looks and get him as comfortable as possible uh, to capitalize on those when they're there. Let's talk running game, Dan, uh, for Nebraska. Terrell Newby, the outright number one, and then you've got three guys listed as the co-two, Amani Cross, Adam Taylor, and then uh, Mikel Wilbon, and then Divino Zigbo. Um, as the next guy on his own line. Uh, this staff has really believed in Terrell Newby. They think he is the guy. We haven't been able to see a lot of him because of that shoulder injury. He's been dinged up, yeah. And that first scrimmage. Um, 
that's a guy that I mean he's a big part of it on Saturday if they're going to win this game. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, he's definitely going to get I think the most carries out of any running back. But man, if you ask me how the rest of those carries are going to be divvied up right now, I've got no idea. You know, we we don't know who that second running back is going to be at different points during fall camp. It looks like Mikhail Wilbon was going to be the number two, or Amani Cross was going to be the number two. But, you know, there were also days where Adam Taylor and Divino Zigbo ran with the number one offense. So, you know, I think it a lot of it might just be by feel. You know, I, like I said, I think Newby is going to be the guy who's going to get the most carries. But, you know, maybe if maybe if Wilbon comes in and has a couple nice runs, he's going to earn himself a couple snaps. The same could be said for Imani Cross. It, it's just very hard to try and predict what they're going to try and do. Uh, to divvy up those carries at the running back position. You know, one thing that was probably a separator as much as anything in Newby's favor was his ability to pass block. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, that's going to be absolutely huge, not only for the running backs, but the tight ends as well, just with the amount that BYU is going to blitz and uh, the, the chances for having a free rusher at the quarterback. Uh, you have to have your backs know who to pick up and keep your quarterback safe. So uh, if anything, uh, I mean, he's played well all offseason, but I think his pass blocking is probably the best of that group, which is why he's the clear starter. And Nate, I want to get your take on Divino Zigbo because recruiting is your your area of expertise um, this is somebody that would join the class late uh, didn't come into Lincoln with a lot of hype uh, and the running back position has what four four-star guys on the roster right now for Nebraska and here this little known three-star back out of Texas is not going to redshirt you're not going to redshirt in, in, in large part because of his ability to catch the ball. You know, you can go back and look at his high school film, and he came out of a program that, uh, that threw the ball 60 times a game. So he didn't put up those crazy rushing numbers that you oftentimes see out of, you know, big-time running backs, especially out of the state of Texas. But, um, you know, I had about 700 yards receiving last year, and, and his high school coach said he had the best hands on the team, you know, and, and a team full of receivers. So that right there tells you, uh, you know, kind of gives you a glimpse on, on you know how good his hands are and I think that's a, the main reason why he's gonna not gonna redshirt this fall let's close off here guys with offensive line um, I mean really no surprises on the depth chart the same five we've been seeing for almost three weeks are the outright number ones there's no co number one situations uh, I think the closest thing to that would be DJ Foster Dan um, he's listed as the backup at both the right and the left guard so if anything were to go wrong at guard Gerald, DJ, whatever your way you like to call him, and he prefers either. He doesn't care. <laughs> it will be the first guard in there. Yeah, I don't even think that's a surprise. I mean, that's something that we saw a couple different times during fall camp. If, you know, Chongo Condolo sat out a play, I remember there was one series where he had a couple false starts. They threw DJ in there. So he's comfortable playing on both sides of the line. That's a guy I've been really impressed with him. Uh, he's, you know, just talking to other players in interviews. That's a guy that's been talked up quite a bit. Um, I'm kind of surprised. I, I really thought he would make a run at that starting job, but I think that, that says a lot for Dylan Utter, that he was able to hold off DJ Foster as good of a camp as as Foster had. Utter was able to kind of keep him at arm's length. You know, we'll see if that lasts the whole year. I just I think DJ's upside is just really, really high, and he could take that job at some point. But for now, Utter's done a great job, and he deserves it. Well, not much more to talk about here. We're going to shift the conversation over to defense where these new black shirts are going to have their hands full on Saturday trying to slow down BYU's preseason Heisman candidate quarterback Taysom Hill. That's next here on the HOL podcast. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
I mean, there's some big boys and they run some some smash mouth offense. It's gonna be a physical game. We're gonna be feeling it afterwards. But you know what? We're a physical defense. We got some we got some head mother fathers down there in that locker room. We're we're ready to go. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they're they're a very physical team up front, but uh, I like to say that we're physical too. Yeah. You looking forward to somebody kind of trying to punch you in the mouth this week? I think I'll be doing the punching. Wee, Malik Collins. It was a fun press conference, guys. Uh, Jack Gangwish, Malik Collins. Um, you know, not, not the longest quote from Malik Collins, but he he's pretty uh, efficient with his words there. As I tried to bait him a little bit, are you looking forward to someone trying to punch you in the mouth? And he's like, I'll be doing the punching. Uh, so this will be. Um, an interesting matchup for this Husker defense as my dog Amy is trying to chime in on the podcast as well. Uh, welcome back here to the HOL podcast, guys. And really, this game starts with Taysom Hill. I mean, you you look at this quarterback. He's 6'2". He's listed at 234 pounds. Um, he's a 25-year-old senior uh, that technically would be in his seventh year of college, but went on a, uh, a LDS mission for two years. Um, and redshirted. I don't know if he redshirted. I think he sat out a year, went on a mission for two, and then has played for four. Um, but he's a guy that's run for over two. I think over two thirty in a game. He's thrown the ball over forty eight times in a game. He is scary good, Nate. And and this is a a guy that could really cause some problems for Nebraska. Wait, this is uh, this is a quarterback that has given Nebraska fans nightmares over the last seven years. I mean, you look at. Uh, the, the big blowout games, you know, the, the games where Nebraska's defenses have really struggled. And uh, more times than not, it's been because of a quarterback who's elusive and, and can run and, and pass uh, like Taysom Hill can. So uh, it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, how the change in scheme can maybe, uh, uh, you know, reel him in and, and corral him a little bit. Well, then the other thing is he's got a couple of 6'6 receivers, Robin Mitch Matthews, 6'6", 215. Uh, Beaverton, Oregon guy. I wonder if Mike Riley tried to recruit him actually at Oregon State. 73 catches for 922 yards a year ago. His long catch was 71, so he can go deep. Uh, they also have a very good junior college receiver um, You know that's coming in, uh, Nick Kurtz um, from Grossmont. and he, he was offered by USC, Oregon, LSU, and Rich Fisher actually uh, was talking to me this week, Nebraska's former receivers coach, and he said that guy is legit. Uh, we, we looked at him hard as well. Um, so that there are going to be some potential matchup problems with these receivers, especially with the way Nebraska's new defensive scheme works. Yeah, you, you touched on it. I mean, just in general, Nebraska's corners are going to be on islands uh, a lot of the time. You know, there's not going to be that over-the-top safety help like there was so often in uh, Bo's scheme. Uh, but even more so in this game, when you have to account so much for a quarterback run uh, game, you're going to have to keep guys close to the line of scrimmage and keep eyes in the backfield, which is going to create a lot of one-on-one uh, opportunities downfield to just throw the ball up and have your two six-six monsters go up there and out just out-jump people for the ball. And so that's going to be a huge aspect to this game. Uh, Nebraska cannot afford to give up big chunks of yards like that. Uh, I mean, it's, it's if you're Mark Banker, it's kind of a uh, you know pick-your-poison type situation because you certainly don't want Taysom Hill to get going on the ground, but at the same time, you don't want to leave yourself exposed uh, for big plays through the air this is arguably one of i would say if not the tallest receiving group in the country they've got eight eight receivers that are eight wide receivers that are six foot six or taller they've got two six seven tight ends 20 of their 32 passing touchdowns last year went to guys who were six six or taller so (laughs) they have a lot of big guys and they know how to use them if i were to provide some optimism for Nebraska fans, because we've made it sound <laughs> right, pretty uh, pretty rough so far. 
Taysom Hill, in his last full season in 2013, he threw 13 interceptions. So he he can turn the ball over a little bit. He can make, or I think it's 14 inter- interceptions actually. Regardless, he'll make some questionable decisions. Um, and also, this is a guy who he's extremely talented. Don't get me wrong; I'm not hating on Taysom Hill, but he is coming off an ACL injury. And while you know these surgeries have gotten so much better, and a lot of times guys come back, you know, with no reservations. Now that is something that you know can get in your head he a little bit. He took zero contact in fall camp. Exactly. This is going to be the first time he's getting hit since his knee basically got rearranged. So you know he could be a guy where that doesn't bother him at all, or maybe you know that that does stick in his head on the first couple hits so it's just something to, to keep an eye on and remember you're listening here to the huskeralign.com podcast we're talking defense and what to watch for nebraska and byu um you know i don't expect byu though with their running backs to do much um, nope. they they lost their leading rusher right mm-hmm. before the start of the season a guy that rushed for over 2500 yards in his career um their starting running back now is a 6'1 235 pound back um Al- algorin brown and, you know, he's not going to cause Nebraska problems. I think he's more of your Mark Wiseman type of back, uh, get you four yards, keep you on schedule. Um, if they can keep him contained, I think the running game for BYU is all about Taysom Hill and and, and slowing him down because, you know, just Google the Texas game a year ago, what he did to Texas the last two years. BYU guys, this is a team that if Hill does not get hurt, they very easily could have been Boise State. They were 4-0, and and they were ranked in the top 20. Then he goes down. And they lost four in a row. Then they won four in a row once they figured it all out. But this easily was a 10-2, and 11-1 team until Hill got hurt. And I don't think a lot of Husker fans realize that. Yeah, and like Dan mentioned, I mean, the key is, is he going to be the same player? I mean, we, we, he haven't seen him play a live football game in almost a, a full calendar year. And so, uh, I mean, we all know what he used to be. But is he going to be that same player coming off a pretty significant leg injury? And Nate, one of the guys that will be looked at tackling Taysom Hill is a 18-year-old true freshman, Dedrick Young, who earned a black shirt, which unofficially I think he's one of the only true freshmen to get a black shirt for the opener since Ralph Brown. Uh, You've got to do a lot of fact-checking, but there have been some freshmen that have gotten black shirts later on, but to get it for the opener, uh, it's pretty rare. I mean, how do you think Dedrick Young is going to respond uh, to this type of challenge week one? Well, I, I think he's going to rise up to the challenge. You know, you, you look at his body of work since uh, arriving on campus, you know, last January, uh, going through spring ball, you know, we saw flashes of his ability to make plays. Uh, and then throughout fall camp, he, he just continually uh, got better and better. And he's been a guy who, who seems to have really understands the scheme and has been made plays all over the place. So, um, you know, a lot of times you'd have a lot of reservations about, you know, trotting out a true freshman out there. And, and I'm sure he will be make some mistakes but at the same time uh, he's not your typical true freshman I think uh, I think Dedrick Young uh, has the opportunity to have a great game Dedrick you know he's not the only guy who's going to be pretty inexperienced excuse me out there for Nebraska I mean I think you're going to see a lot of Luke Gifford who is a Mm -hmm. redshirt freshman has yet to see the field Uh, I think we'll see some Marcus Newby who has seen the field a little bit but mostly at defensive end you know, there's going to be some inexperienced guys out there, so they're kind of getting thrown into the fire for the first time. This is a pretty interesting first test. And with the weather being in the mid-90s, afternoon sun, BYU's going to try to run up tempo and, mm-hmm. and, and get Nebraska tired. 
So you're going to have to see some maybe some substituting on I defense. Right. Um, I mean, Josh Banderas' backup is Chris Weber, um, a guy that missed a lot of camp who's never really played significant snaps at Mike. Tyron Ferguson, I believe, is also listed yep. as a yes. Mike, too. Uh, but right now I think Weber has a better handle on the defense and would be the guy out there. Yeah, and like you mentioned, neither one of those guys has seen any kind of legitimate game experience. I think Chris Weber's been in on a couple special teams plays and things like that. But as far as getting real reps in a game – they haven't done it before, so this is, you know, kind of throwing these young guys into the fire and seeing how they respond early on. And we're, we're going to learn all about this scheme and, and kind of Mark Banker's core system and beliefs uh, right away. I mean, this is going to be really, really interesting to watch. Uh, when we come back here on the podcast, we're going to shift over to our stock watch segment uh, and, and give you our thoughts on uh, things Husker-related and maybe not Husker-related that are trending up and trending down. That's next here on the podcast. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, it definitely uh, didn't happen the way that I envisioned it. I was hoping that early in my career I would definitely get on the field and get some meaningful minutes, but obviously that didn't happen. I mean, I just persevered. I just kept working. This is obviously the place that I wanted to be. I mean, I I got discouraged quite a bit, but at the end of the day, I mean, it just ingrained me, and I want to succeed so bad, so I just kept with it, and when I, when I got the most discouraged last year, uh, the coaching change finally happened, and I think that that could have been the best thing that ever happened for me. Back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, Dan Hoppin, and it is stock watch time. We start things off. That was fifth-year senior tight end David Sutton, uh, a guy that if you had asked him maybe pre-Iowa week last year, he probably wasn't going to be coming back for his final year at Nebraska. He was a tight end that had not played a meaningful snap in his career. He'd played some limited special teams, some mop-up duty tight end, uh, but never had a, a meaningful snap. Now he's listed no num- uh, now he's listed number one on the depth chart. Yeah, he's going to get the start Saturday, and you know all those tight ends on the depth chart they're listed as ors, so technically they're all co number ones. But I think that there is something special, especially for a fifth year senior like that to officially getting the start you know he can list himself as the starter right that's something that when he was talking about it the other day you could tell he thought was really cool yeah and and he's paid his dues he's a class act I mean you heard him there he's about as well spoken and classy of a young man as you're gonna come around And, and his dream was to be a Husker I mean I knew Dave when he was coming out of Lincoln Southeast and played with Darius Vick who's Ohio U's starting quarterback right now and you know I'm just happy for the kid Uh, that he's getting a chance. I mean, it's funny. You've got three Lincoln Southeast tight ends. A year ago, he was the third of the three. Now he's the first of the three. So it's amazing what a different coach's perspective has on that. Who who do you got stock up, Dan? My stock up, Levante David. The NFL starts up uh, next week. I couldn't be more excited for that. And if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Levante David, one of – Sports Illustrated's cover boys have got several editions uh, for their NFL preview, a lot of different... Regional covers. Yes, regional covers that have come out. And unfortunately, with Levante playing in Tampa Bay, I don't think... Yeah. Special order, that one. Yeah, I don't think Nebraska is going to be getting that edition. But it's a really sweet cover if you haven't seen it. Uh, it says, Levante David is the game's premier takedown artist. Pretty strong words there. He was third in the NFL in tackles last season. You know, this is a guy who just continues to get better and better and... 
Uh, pretty cool to see him, you know, kind of on a smaller market team. Hasn't gotten a ton of attention for what he's done the last couple of years to get recognized with this cover. Yeah, anybody that watched him play in college should not be surprised at the production he's had. I mean, uh, from a football instinct standpoint, I, I personally haven't seen a linebacker play much better th- than he did at the college level. And, you know, he's putting it all together and showing everybody that he should have been selected far higher in the draft than he was. I still chuckle that it took injuries to Will Compton oh, and I Sean know. Fisher for him to get the starting <laughs> Job he wasn't going to start week no, one. No, he wasn't. They actually tried Alonzo Whaley oh. over him, and then they just fell into that one. Because because he was in the wrong place too many times, right? Wasn't yeah, that his, post thing? Yeah. yeah. He, did, he didn't know the scheme well. That enough. was a big issue. Nate, Klaus, who do you have stock up? Well, stock up is uh, the lack of bodies in the training room. I, I think the, the overall health of this team, uh, you know, has made a dramatic change uh, over the over the last uh, you know week or so. You know, uh, so you know, so few guys you know standing on the sidelines watching practice now. You you got some important bodies back in the mix, and um, you know, heading into the BYU game, relatively healthy, uh, especially compared to what you what you had a couple weeks ago. Robin, watch that stock up. I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to shift towards basketball here and do the stock up for Nebraska basketball recruiting, particularly 2016 commit Isaiah Roby. Uh, the most recent uh, Rivals 150 rankings were uh, released earlier this week, and uh, Roby came in at number 106 and got bumped up to a four-star. So you look at this. I mean, before the 2015 class, Nebraska had never signed a, four, uh, a four-star Rivals 150 prospect. Now, come November, when the early signing period hits, they're going to have at least five, with two open spots left for 2016, uh, with uh, Roby, Ed Morrow, Andrew White, Anton Gill, and... uh uh, Watson, Glenn Watson. Uh, so uh, you got to give a tip of the hat to Nebraska's coaching staff for continuing this thing going and uh, props to Isaiah Roby for the work uh, that he's put in. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Let's shift over now to stock down, guys. And I have to start out with the, the public address yes. announcer situation. Um, uh, a guy that you know I've known for a long time, John Schutz, um, former KTV sports director, now financial advisor in Omaha, was announced on Monday as the new public address announcer. He was announced, uh, and then on Tuesday they announced he is no longer the guy from a Facebook posting he made criticizing Chancellor Harvey Perlman nine months ago. Uh, and then Lane Grindle, you know, he's the Husker sideline reporter. He's going to be taking off the broadcast for home games, um, you know, to be the PA guy. And I, I just, you know, and part of me feels for Lane because he's a broadcaster, and you know, not being on the the home game sidelines now. I mean, I know I would, I'd rather if I had the choice, I'd rather be on the sideline than doing the PA. But Lane is going to be doing the PA, and um, you know, I'll be. Uh, the whole situation was just a disaster, in my opinion, um, how it was handled um, and and how it all went down this week. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really bad PR uh, for Nebraska. I mean, just the fact that national publications are picking up stories about your PA guy. I mean, like, what other program is this even going to be news? I mean, that the search for the stadium PA guy, like, it just kind of shows once again that Nebraska is a different animal when it comes to its football. Yeah, it's really censorship in a lot of ways that you can't be critical or have an opinion mm-hmm. at all, and it, it, this looks bad. Um, yeah. Nate, uh, what do you got stock down, Dan? Uh, my stock down, Roger Goodell. Just as we uh, began, you Colts lover, you. Just as we began the broadcast today, the news came down that Tom Brady, uh, his four-game suspension has been completely lifted. So not only like all along, I think people thought it would get reduced, maybe to two games. Instead, it's just completely nullified. So 
while I'm kind of disappointed because I'm obviously anyone who knows me knows I am not a Tom Brady fan. Uh-huh. I, am, I am the exact opposite <laughs> of that. Uh, can't stand the guy, but I'm not a big fan of Roger Goodell either. I thought he mishandled this whole case from the very beginning, and he really kind of got punked out here. Uh, he's not looking very good right now. He's on shaky ground. Right, his, his ego got in the way of all this, and you know, really, when you think about it, I mean, they went to court uh, over deflated footballs. I mean, when you really put it into it's perspective. It's incredible, yeah. It's, you know, and, and obviously and it lasted seven months. It's more than that, though, because, like I said, Goodell's ego uh, kind of was taking money out of people's pockets. And so then, then you can – I hate to side with Tom Brady, but I, the way that Goodell and the NFL handled this was just atrocious. Final stock down? Final stock down is uh, Bronco Mendenhall and how he's handled uh, all these suspensions, you know, the the secrecy behind uh, all these suspensions and, and whether or not they'll actually happen. You know, you look at you look back at his weekly press conference and, um, you know, you could look into some of the statements that he made and, and kind of uh, almost wonder if they're even going to happen. You know, he, he says uh, that uh, having these guys suffered long enough or, or been uh, been through enough already since the end of the you know season last year. So um, it's uh, it's really kind of interesting to uh, to see how he's handled this and uh, when those announcements will be made, if if at all. I've got four reasons why he's doing this: at Nebraska, Boise State, at UCLA, <laughs> at Michigan. Those are the first four games of the year for that's, BYU. That's a brutal. Yeah, that is brutal. start to the season. Four straight weeks, three on the road. Then after that, it lightens for BYU with UConn, East Carolina, who's always quality. Yeah, they're tough. Cincinnati, who's picked to win um, their conference, um, whatever the Big East is called now for, for uh, the AAC. AAC, or, yeah. And they have Wagner, San Jose State. Then they play Missouri and Kansas City, Fresno State, and then at Utah State. So if after this first month, it really lightens up for Bronco Mendenhall. And uh, I think he knows he has a pretty good team that could play for maybe a Fiesta Bowl bid if they can beat Boise. So it is interesting um, in a lot of ways what they're going to do because you watch that fight, and it's it's not pretty. It's brutal. Not pretty. It's a chess match, too. I mean, Mike Riley's doing the same thing, hiding the five suspended guys uh, for Nebraska. I mean, it's just kind of one of those deals. You don't want to tip your hand on your opponent of what guys are going to be out there and who aren't. So, uh, I mean, it's not completely out of the norm. And like you said, the, the opening schedule uh, certainly has a lot to do with how Bronco Mendenhall is handling it. Well, Robin, Dan, we'll see you Saturday up in the press box. Looking forward to a opening game and another football season. Mark Scott, can't wait. <laughs> it's finally here. All right, we'll wrap up the show here next with Nate Klaus. We'll get the latest take from him on Terry Wilson, Nebraska's QB commit. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the podcast, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, closing out the show with recruiting. And it's going to be a big weekend, Nate, for Nebraska in recruiting. There's going to be a number of official, unofficial visitors. But really the biggest storyline for the Huskers is going to be taking place with one of their recruits in Eugene, Oregon. Terry Wilson, Nebraska's three-star quarterback, commit from Dell City, Oklahoma, will be making his long-awaited official visit out to Eugene uh, to see the Ducks, and it does not look very good right now for the Huskers. Uh, initially, you know, the, this seemed to be, you know, kind of a harmless visit, and, you know, a harmless interest, I guess, um, you know, in, in Oregon. Uh, now, over the last quarter, you know, the last couple months, it's turned into 
you know, being a very real thing. And, and Terry Wilson says he could see himself playing for Oregon. And, um, you know, it's week by week, you know, Terry Wilson's tone seems to be more and more leaning towards Oregon. And, and uh, you know, if you're a Husker fan uh, that follows recruiting, I wouldn't get your hopes up that uh, Terry Wilson's going to be signing with Nebraska uh, because he, he's, he's almost kind of set the stage for himself to, to go to Oregon. And if he likes what he sees, to, to pull the trigger and commit. And we had him on Big Rider Wrap-Up with uh, Kevin Kugler and myself Tuesday night. And to Terry's credit, he answered every question like a pro. Yep. Um, and Kugler brought the heat. I mean, it wasn't like we we threw him a bunch of, talk about Mike Riley and what you like about Mike Riley. I mean, it was, I mean, we brought the heat at him. And um, he took the heat and answered the tough questions. But the one that got me, Nate, that really confused me was, I said, when do you plan on making that trip to Lincoln? He doesn't know. And I'm thinking to myself, South Alabama's a night game. You can get up there pretty easily on Saturday morning for that game and stay the night um, if you wanted to and drive back Sunday. Uh, But that's not the case. Uh, So as of today, right now, we do not know when or if Terry Wilson will be in Lincoln. In July, he had his official visit locked in for that Wisconsin game. Uh, and then, you know, when he when it, it came down that he was going to end up taking his visit to, to Oregon as an official visit uh, for the first game of the year, uh, then, well, actually, he was going to visit the same weekend uh, out to Oregon. And they, they kind of switched it up on him. They wanted to get him up uh, for that first game. So uh, he canceled the, the visit to, you know, for the Wisconsin game. And, and he had talked about coming in for South Alabama. But, yeah, you're right. The fact that he has not locked in an official visit date uh, to Nebraska, I I think is pretty telling going forward now uh, I mean they're in good shape Nate they have Patrick O'Brien he's now a four-star quarterback Christian Gebbia another four-star from California maybe Terry Wilson's looking at that as well I mean you look at what they have already P.O.B. Patrick O'Brien is now the high-rated guy in this class where Terry was the high-rated guy when it first kind of all played out but then Gebbia who's even higher rated potentially um, is looking hard at going to Nebraska. Well, and, and Patrick O'Brien is the, more the prototypical player for Mike Riley's system, uh, the more prototypical you know, pocket passer. Um, you, you said he's, he just got bumped up to four stars by Rivals.com, coming off of an unreal game against San Clemente, uh, who's one of the better teams in, in Southern California, uh, where he was 30 of 36 for 320 yards, three touchdowns, uh, and even ran 40 yards for a score I mean he put up some unreal numbers uh, and beat a team that they you know nobody picked them to beat San Clemente so uh, Patrick O'Brien is is kind of off to the races so far and uh, and, then, and he's all in and he's all in he's graduating early uh, so he'll be here in in January and I think that that maybe uh, you know it's definitely playing somewhat of a role you know um, Terry Wilson will never say that uh, you know that this is you know impacts him. Uh, in fact, he's he's been adamant that uh, he embraces a competition uh, between him and Patrick. But I guarantee you that this is playing you know somewhat of a role. And just meeting the O'Brien family in Los Angeles or Santa Monica at that satellite camp, you can just see it. I mean, they were so excited about Nebraska. Heck, they already knew their way out to like South Lincoln, talking about going to restaurants on 56 and Highway mm-hmm. Two. And usually, Husker gear. I mean, usually you're not that dialed in to Lincoln, you know, this early, but they are. And um, 
you know, maybe they say maybe buying a place out here or getting a, a place out in town. Or, yeah, they're they're looking at possibly having, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, some sort of place to, to come stay for game weekends and, and things like that. And, uh, and, the, and the, the same thing could be said for uh, Tristan Gebbia. You know, uh, he's coming off of unreal performance. You know, he, he had 77 uh, percent completion, um, you know, last week for through for over 300 yards and, and four touchdowns. So, um, you know, again, another guy that fits that that protocol prototypical um, you know pocket passer pro style offense that, that Riley uh, usually runs so um, two guys that fit the system um, and then you got Terry Wilson who's more of an athletic guy that uh, you know you have Scott Frost in his year and I, I think he's probably telling him you know all about his experiences you know uh, being an athletic quarterback going to Stanford uh, to play in a pro style system and that not really working out and then going uh, back to Nebraska and, and being in more of a uh, athletic, um, you know, role and, and winning national championship in Nebraska. Nate, uh, let's close it out here. Who's coming in this weekend? Uh, give us a quick rundown of the officials and uh, maybe a couple of the key unofficials coming in. Yeah, three un- or three official visitors for the weekend. Uh, offensive tackle Tremaine Ankrum out of Georgia uh, will be making uh, his second trip to Nebraska. First official visit for him, uh, and really down between uh, Georgia, uh, Colorado, and the Huskers. There, I-, I think that he could make a decision here in the next month. Um, definitely a position in need there. Darian Owens is a four-star, rivals 250 wide receiver out of California that will be coming in. Um, currently committed to UCLA, and he said that it's going to take an awful lot to to get him to, to flip from UCLA. But, uh, again, another one of those kids that absolutely loves Keith Williams. And, uh, you know, you get a kid on campus and you never know what's going to happen. So um, they a big-time visitor there. And then uh, Nebraska linebacker commit Greg Simmons will be coming to town. Um, you know, and he's been a huge advocate for Nebraska, been a, a very big peer recruiter. Uh, so it'll be nice to have him on campus. And then, you know, two of the, the top unofficial visitors uh, in the underclassmen for 2017 is uh, Javon McQuitty, uh, who's, uh, you know, a four-star type of talent out of uh, Columbia, Missouri, Battle High School, uh, who's having a, a tremendous season so far. And Dejaiman Colbert, uh, another one of the top players in, in the state of Missouri for 2017. Uh, he's a cornerback safety prospect out of Winnetonka High School in Kansas City. So a uh, good mix of, of some, you know, 2016 official visitors and some of the top uh, 2017 guys uh, in the 500-mile radius. And quickly here, Nate, should Nebraska fans be worried about Quayshon Alexander tweeting out that he will now be visiting Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech? I can tell you that Pat Narduzzi is all over this guy at Pittsburgh, um, and they're not going to go down out of fight, it sounds like. Yeah, there's always reason to, to be concerned when you've got a guy taking other visit, visits. Um, you know, he does love Nebraska. And another facet of this is the fact that his mom always wanted him to take all of his visits. So that could be part of it, too. But uh, uh, you do the, – the bottom line is you can't let up recruiting, um, you know, a guy, whether he's committed to you or not. You can't never let up. So uh, – and that's, a, that's the case with Quaishon Alexander right now. Lots to follow this weekend. Make sure to stay up to date with Nate Klaus, Mike Mattia, and Brian Munson as they'll have complete coverage of all the recruiting storylines around this BYU weekend. And that wraps it up here for another edition of the HOL Podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 